I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Today we're talking about something that affects absolutely everybody because everyone who walks on this earth has had to have had a father, at least in the biological sense. And so we wanted to unpack and explore fatherhood. And I think that it's something that isn't discussed enough. We discuss parents in general, and there's a lot of emphasis on the mother as the primary nurturer and the primary caregiver. But in fact, we know that the influence of fathering and sometimes the influence of lack of fathering, and certainly we need to talk about what good fathering looks like, isn't really highlighted and discussed enough. So today we're sitting with an expert on this. He's an author of numerous books about being a dad and being a father in the best possible way. And Craig Williamson, it's not how you actually started out. I mean, I remember that you were in business initially and you started out in the accounting space and working in business. So I found it quite fascinating of why you now talk about fathering. You also talk about abuse most particularly trying to understand the reasons for abuse. And you've moved right into that space, which wasn't how you started off. There's got to be a story. There's a story, yeah. I I was a single dad for many years and uh, just began to see the impact that uh, a lack of fathers had on kids around my kids' friends. Uh, I became known as the pops of the group, and I just saw the massive impact that absent or abusive or even fathers that were there but not there had on their children. So that's the one side of it, you know, my own two children, who, who my, my son now is 25 and my daughter's 22. And then also we worked a lot, I began to do a lot of work in communities, in, in business development, but began to see that, you know, poverty is a massive issue, but an even bigger issue leading to degradation of society is the breakdown of families. And the biggest single issue in the breakdown of families is the lack of fathers. Uh, mm-hmm. South Africa is, I think it's the worst in the world. It's got the most single moms in the world. I think something like 60% of young people are growing up without a, a present and engaged father. So it's, it's one of the worst in the world. And we just saw that, that uh, where fathers were not there, or were there but not there. You know, you get the, someone said it's possible to grow up in a household with two parents but still have an orphaned heart. The heart yeah. that's just not fathered, that's not mothered, that's not parented. So that led me to, to develop a real passion for fatherhood. Uh, when my son turned 18, he wrote me a letter and he said, uh, I was a tearjerker, he said, uh, Dear Dad, I, you know, I didn't ask for this. He just decided to write it. I, I'm writing a letter to thank you for being my best friend, my brother, but most of all my dad. And he went on to say that I'm, I'm the most fathered human I know. And he said, uh, you can bring this to the rest of the unfathered world. And, and that was quite a, a profound shift in my life when that happened. So many stories of my, my, my journey growing up with my, my daughter and my son, which, which just showed me the, the power and importance of it and the lack of it. And the fact that many men are, men are being demonized terribly today, aren't they? There's this huge thing of abuse and men, hashtag men are trash. And so men are taking a lot of strain in terms of what it means to be a man. So this whole issue of fatherhood and masculinity is such a crucial, crucial one. So much so that, that I started the NGO called Father A Nation with the belief that if we can heal and restore men, we can heal and restore the world. Mm. 
Sure, that's quite a statement. If we can heal and restore men, we can heal and restore the world. And you really clearly feel very passionately about that. Absolutely, believe it. It's quite interesting to me to you to quote that letter from your son, who was only 18. So it was something that that was very valued and recognized in the interaction that you had with him and not taken for granted. Actually, I wrote a a letter with a lovely reply to my own kids this Father's Day because because they lost their father, which was six years ago. They lost, but they didn't, because we recognize, you know, the the wisdom, the inspiration. Which he left behind. Which he left behind and that which still live inside them. So, you know, it was about celebrate the father that lives inside you. Right. And that is still there and the legacy that he left and that taught you. But you were saying that, of course, you can be there, not there. And the reality of many, many families in our country country is that the fathers are physically absent so what do you think let's first talk about that then we can discuss how we can assist the fathers who are there but not there what about the families who don't have fathers and they're many they're very many they're very very many look i mean the call out is to all men to 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 seek Healing, restoration, and wholeness, and what it means to be a man. And, and then we'd have less absent fathers. We'd have less men running away uh, from their responsibilities. But if a lady is in a situation where she has, she's a single mom, my encouragement to her is to, number one, do everything in her power to get the biological father involved. You have a lot of situations where, where kids are the, the unintended victims, or the, the, you know, they're caught in the crossfire between a fight between a mom and a dad. And the parents are very often very guilty of not putting the children first, but putting their own issues and their own egos and their own stuff first. So as parents, as a single mom and as a dad, we need to do everything in our power to, to jointly parent the, the children. What could some single moms say? Because the reason, as you're alluding to, yeah. for men leaving is that maybe they can't deal with the responsibility or they can't cope or they just feel denigrated or not useful enough or, you know, maybe there's more to it than just shirking all of their responsibilities and galloping off. Well, there is. I mean, it it, it always is a shirking, isn't it? I mean, but so there's no excuse for it, but there are reasons for it. And I think a lot of men grew up, you see, a young boy looks to his father as his primary role model. He looks to his dad to model what it means to be a man. And if that man models responsibility and love and nurture and care, all the things that men should model, uh, and he validates the young boy. You see, every young boy growing up has a question on his heart. And the question is, and it's slightly different to the question of of a young girl that he asked his father. And and he asked his father, Dad, do I have what it takes to be a man? Do I, you know, because men have this desire and this need to be powerful, not in a horrible, not in a domineering kind of way, but to, to know that they have the strength that it takes to do what the world needs them to do as a man. And the father is the one who gives the boy that sense of, my son, you've got what it takes. You've got what it takes. You've got this thing. And then he models to him what it means to, how does he use his strength? So he needs to know that he has strength, but then he teaches him how to use the strength. So isn't it true, though, that the perception of what that strength is is quite misguided often? The perception of what that strength is is a lack of, I mean, the worst thing that a man can be or can feel is to be considered weak, which is the opposite of the strength that you're talking about. But the way they define weak and strong I have a sense isn't what you're talking about. Very much so. You know, I mean, weakness is, is a bad thing, 
but vulnerability is a good thing. So when a man, when I'm saying weakness, I mean weakness in, in a moral sense, weakness in a sense of not taking responsibility, weakness in a sense of running away when you should be running towards. That's the wrong kind of weakness. We mistake vulnerability for weakness, and vulnerability is not a bad thing at all. In fact, vulnerability takes a huge amount of courage. And I think you know what you're alluding to now is really the, the lies that men grow up listening to as young boys. And there really are, there are four categories of lies. Sex, power, money, and big boys don't cry. Everything that a man hears that is wrong can be categorized into those four areas. So we grow up thinking that the guy… you say those are all lies? Well, let's let's the, around them. So, okay. so the the lie about sex is that men need to have lots of women to be a man. Uh, the lie about power is that men need to have power to be a man. When I say power, I mean political power or or economic power. You know, power that they can use in the wrong kind of fashion. So they pursue power in the wrong fashion. They pursue sex in the wrong fashion. And thirdly, they pursue money in the wrong fashion. The sense is, uh, there's you know, men have to have lots, uh, the right kind of car. Their kids have to go to the right kind of school. They have to write right kind of job. Money. Uh, those kind of three things define, and, and media is very guilty, aren't they, of this. They propagate an image where those three things, if you, if you have power, lots of women and power, lots of… Power, money, and status. Yeah, exactly. So. You, you're the man. Yeah. And, and that's not the truth at all. There's a beautiful saying that says, the poorest man can leave behind the richest legacy because he's there and he cares for his children. So it's not about sex, power, and money. And the, and the fourth one, which is devastating, is that big boys don't cry. And that comes out in many forms. I mean, I… Last year, had a, a very close friend commit suicide, and none of us in the group of close friends knew that he was going through what he was going through because he didn't share. There was a sense of that uh, I can't share this because if I do, I'm not a man. Um, so a lot of men, and we were talking about this earlier, that uh, men commit suicide five times more than women, and it's because much of it's because we don't share. We're not vulnerable. We don't. We don't have a band of brothers around us that we can actually sit down and sob and cry and say, look, I'm really struggling, please help, and we will. So those myths men grow up with, men do need to be strong. There's a time for the warrior face. You know, we put on a face and you say, um, my family's Throw going through. Throw it at me. I yeah, will yeah, deal I'm, with I'm this. I'm going to deal with this. I'm yeah. going to stand up and be strong morally, and I'm going to take responsibility and do whatever it takes to love and care and look after my family. But if they, don't, if they grow up with a sense of I'm not enough or a sense of I have to prove myself by sex, power, and money, then, of course, things go horribly wrong. And that's why we have such absent fathers in this country, why we have so much uh, gender-based violence. It's because of this distortion, this woundedness of masculinity. So we were talking about um, single-parent mothers, and we're now going to talk about how you actually challenge those myths in a society where those messages are so part of the male DNA. That's what you get taught. I mean, they can be, these messages can be challenged and changed, I know. But, I mean, you. I want to talk to you about the how. In terms of those families, it would be very useful, wouldn't it, to either, you say, appeal to the biological father with a kind of recognition that maybe they feel that they have never had. In other words, there's only one person in the world who you ever call dad, actually. Only one. Maybe you can have other role models. Perhaps you have to reach out to other role models 100%. to serve that sort of purpose. Very, well, very important. Well, that's the beauty. Is the, it doesn't have to be a biological father that plays the role of mentoring and fathering you. I mean, we live in a country where single mothers is, is massive, and a lot of people never know their fathers. They never mm-hmm. know them. The father d- disappears at birth. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the men that are good men in this country, and I think there's, there are millions of them, but that are not credited and not, uh, that, that are silenced and demonized, 
if we as men stand up as a collective and begin to mentor and father and role model kids that are not only our own kids, you know, teachers, uh, male teachers, and there's such a lack of male teachers, uh, mm. male coaches, uncles, um, grandfathers. These are the men that can stand up and be the father, the surrogate father to kids who don't have fathers. And that, that's powerful and it works. So let's talk first about what happens to boys and girls, but, you know, I think that they see things a little bit differently. Mm. When they don't have that, how does it affect them? It affects them very – I'll tell you a little story about my daughter, and this was another thing that along my journey. Uh, when she was two and a half years old, she had to have an operation on her heart. Uh, there was a small hole in one of the walls of her heart. And I said to the – luckily, it, not open heart surgery. It used to be. You know, the technology is fantastic now. It's a little catheter that goes into the vein and it pops this device up. Uh, but I said to the doctor, the surgeon, I said, do you mind if I just go into surgery with her? Because I didn't want her to be wheeled into this scary environment. Mm. So he kindly agreed. I had to put on the, the mask and the, and the gown. And he let me actually hold her in my arms in theater and put the mask over her face, the gas that she fell asleep. So she fell asleep in my arms, comforted. It's her um, safe place. It's her safe place, yeah. exactly. And then when she woke up, I was there to, you know, so she, she was never without her dad. And the operation was a great success. But one month later, we were at my house. Uh, I had a bride, had a couple of mates around. And my daughter was standing next to me outside on the grass. And one of my friends said to her, Blythe, I believe you were in hospital recently. And she looked up at him and she said, she said, yes, my heart was broken, she said. Uh, she said, but my daddy fixed it. Uh, it, it was one of those defining moments yeah. where you realize that to her, I was her hero. I was the man who fixed her heart. I could do anything. I mean, a young girl will look to her mom to model what it means to be a woman. You know, that her mom's her primary role model in that sense. She'll look to her dad to validate her, her dad to help her discover her identity, and her dad to, to romance her and to let her know that she's beautiful, that she's worth fighting for, that she's uh, valuable, that she can do anything, she can reach for the stars. That's the message that, that the dad gives to the daughter. So I remember... I I've got to, to talk to you about that romance <clears throat> word because yeah. today with this, you know, all the, this politically correct, uh, yeah. of course, yes. we have to be and a me too and all of that. Yes. You know, you have to be so well, careful. No, but you see, that's I know such, what you're talking that's about. That's such a tragedy. Now, and, and, of course and I, it's a tragedy. I absolutely reject... You, you see, as a father, let me tell you a story. When, when, often when I used to come out from work, my, my son used to come... And my daughter used to come running out and grab me, dad, 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 dad. But there were times when my daughter would stay inside and she would sit cross-legged on the lounge floor at the dining room table. And I realized that she wanted me to pursue her. She wanted me to seek her out and to find her and to discover her and say, oh, Blythe, aren't you? You're looking beautiful today. Uh, And and isn't that that drawing you made just fantastic? Mm -hmm. And she would come alive. You see, there's a purity in romancing your daughter. But it's you, the word you, that I think might have a problem. But not yeah, in your sense. Yeah, I understand you're romancing that. a heart. You, yeah. You're saying, you know, my precious, your heart is beautiful. It's worth protecting. I'm it's worth loving. I'm affirming you. I'm validating yeah, you. I'm absolutely. recognizing you. 100%. You yeah. know, that. Yeah. That's and and you're showing her the purity of masculine strength. You're showing her that masculine strength, this has got nothing whatsoever to do with sex. Nothing. This has got to do with you're a beautiful, precious, amazing creation of God and I as your father validate you and love you and mm. seek you out and I'll do anything in my power to protect you and, and nurture you and that's the message you're giving her. So let me talk to you about that um, vis-a-vis boys yeah. because this whole thing is and you've highlighted the four things that cowboys don't cry in particular you know power money sex yeah. and all of the rest of it how often do you hear in fact I heard it I yes. have to say on Father's Day, yeah. where there was a kid playing and the a, a kid and the kid 
got very, very upset because they wanted to, a little kid, wanted to go on a on the horsey yes. and the horsey was packing up and started screaming and being very upset. And the parents did everything they could to, to here, have some candy floss mm. or let's do something else or, okay, it's enough now, Be you're a big boy. Yeah. It, the message clearly was, the kid was about three, clearly was, you're a big boy, you just don't do it, you get on with it. Right. And you hear those messages all the time, and parents are doing it with the very best intention. Two boys are not Two girls. boys, we yeah. teach you how to cope. You know, and this is nonsense. It's sometimes, or very often, they say you're a girl, mm. which is meant to be, you know, don't be such a girl. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> the, the thing is, masculinity is a beautiful gift to humanity, as is femininity. But they're different. And I think we've got to say men and women are equal. Absolutely. But, different. but stunningly different. Mm -hmm. and, and the differences are beautiful. There's a massive overlap. I mean, fundamentally, we're human beings and we're the same. We have the same desires and passions. But there are some fundamental differences. And a man who loves his son and nurtures his son, and shows his son all the different facets of masculinity, which is there's a warrior phase where you just knuckle down and you get on with it and you don't, you know, you wipe away your tears because you've got to get up there and get out there and face the world and right. it's difficult and it's tough. There is that. And there are times, there are times when tears are appropriate. There are times when you sit down and you share and you say, I'm really at my wit's end. And that's, the, boys should be allowed to do that. You see, the other thing with boys, and, and I've done this with my son from day one. I mean, we're very affectionate. He's, he's a six foot two, uh, he was a South African under 18 jiu-jitsu champion. He represented South Africa. He's a big guy and he's, a, he's still getting on my lap. You know, we'll still hug each other in a very rough kind of way. But, you know, there's yeah. a tenderness. And I think masculinity is also tender. It's tender, it can be vulnerable, it, it must be the warrior and take responsibility. So there's so many facets of masculinity which we're not teaching. And it doesn't mean, you know, men avoid uh, teaching type positions. A lot of it's to, to do with finance, but there's an element where men are able to it's a teach woman's profession. and nurture. Yeah, in, in many know. ways. Look, some of that's very valid in the sense that men and women do make uh, different choices based on there's a biological difference. So women do tend to uh, lean more towards uh, people. Men tend to, to be drawn more towards objects. I mean, this is, this is just a biological fundamental uh, aspect of, of masculinity and femininity. So women would, would be drawn more to the people type profession, such as doctors, um, nurses, etc. Men would, would be drawn naturally more towards more engineering, which is, tends to be objects and stuff. And there's nothing, there's nothing fundamentally no, wrong with that. Absolutely. But, but the point is this, is that a woman can be a fighter pilot and a man can be a nurse. And, yeah. and, and that's absolutely fantastic because in the DNA of masculinity, you see, true masculinity is about protecting and nurturing and being there. That's in the DNA of a whole man. A whole man would be incapable, physiologically incapable of raping a woman because it just, it's, not, it's not something that he should be able to do. It's not in his DNA. That's a, so what happens? Well, Greg? it's a desperate woundedness. I mean, you see what happens? Because boys have a fundamental desire, need in their DNA to protect and to provide, not to say that women can't do that as well, you know, but, but it's very deeply embedded in the masculine. He, he needs to know that he's powerful. So, so the, the, the cry in a man's heart is, am I powerful, daddy? Am I, show me that I'm powerful. And when we as men grow men up to show you are powerful, and here's how you use that strength. The strength is there to be, to serve others, to give to others, never to take what's not yours, but always to provide protection and safety and provision and giving. 
Now, when a boy grows up and he's, he's been damaged in the sense that he, he believes he's completely emasculated and powerless, he does one of two things. And that's when the father's not there to validate. And often the mom can play a sim, you know, can also be guilty of that, but it's fundamentally the, the father wound. And he hears all these wrong messages from society that to be a man, you've got to be powerful, you've got to have money, you've got to have sex, you've got to dominate. He grows up and one of two things happens. He either withdraws completely and fails to use his strength and he becomes... And that's the kind of guy that will fall into all kinds of addictions. So drinking, pornography, which is a massive epidemic now. All these different, he'll fall into that because he's, he's failing to use his strength because he doesn't believe he has it. Or he'll spend his whole life, and, and it depends on the degree of the damage, trying to prove that he is powerful. Now, any kind of sexual crime, any kind of gender-based violence is, a, is an incredibly distorted way of a man trying to assert his power and his dominance. And that's where it becomes completely sick and twisted. When a man's asserting his dominance over someone because he doesn't feel he has any power whatsoever as a man mm. and he hasn't been taught whatever power he has, how to use that. Mm. So hence movements like you started, the fatherhood. Father and a nation. Father and nation, yeah. yeah. Where you would begin perhaps, I mean, even if it didn't happen when it should have happened the first time around, yes. do you, you believe that you can influence and Very you can change so. perceptions of so. men? It has to be done by men. You see, a, a woman can't heal a man. A man needs to heal a man. A man needs to hear from a man that you're the man. And he'll, he can spend his whole life chasing woman after woman after woman. And, you know, and that's why we get so much of that. Because every time he does manage to get a woman into bed, he feels wonderful and powerful. Yeah. But he wakes up and he doesn't feel it anymore. Mm. So the, the men, masculinity is parted by men to boys and by men to men. So we, we have, we've had incredible stories of uh, being away with men in, in, on camps, etc., where we as a collective of men, as a band of brothers, we validate each other. And we've had, the first time I did this, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, I, had a, I, I was validating a man by the name of Patrick, 60-year-old man. And basically, I was just saying, Patrick, as a man, I see a man, and you stand as a man amongst men, just giving him this message of you're, you're a man. Tears pouring down mm. his cheeks, eventually sobbing. And he just realized the wound in him that his whole life, he'd never, ever had that kind of validation. Mm. His father didn't do it. It wasn't. Chances are his father wasn't validated himself and therefore wasn't able Absolutely. to impart. So we can, we can begin to break the cycle and uh, restore men. And you see... One of the other big challenges we're having in, in the world today is, is we talk so much about rights, but we don't talk about responsibilities. Mm. And we only have rights. I only have rights to the extent that you, as my fellow citizen, fulfill your responsibilities. If you steal from me, in other words, don't fulfill your responsibilities, then you, you're violating my rights. So we live in a, in a beautiful collective, and Ubuntu is a fantastic word, where I am because you are, and I need to fulfill my responsibilities so that you can have your rights and vice versa. And I think when you call out men and say, you have power and you're good and you have responsibilities, and, want, and men want that. Once they realize that I have responsibilities and also have the power to fulfill them, they start to stand up and become what a man was designed to be. So, in fact, what you do is you challenge the dominant narrative with them. Yeah. They have a perception of themselves. Mm. And they come there. In fact, you know, I guess the ones who come there understand that this, the kind of um, 
of predictable behavior or patterns that they've got into is not working for them. It's not working. Hasn't been fulfilling at all. So when they come there, you find another thread of truth Mm. that might have been buried or never manifest properly. And you highlight that about the potential, even about experiences that they've had, about some capacity that you Mm. can recognize, about something that you believe is inherently there, but hasn't been nurtured, hasn't been recognized yeah. or maybe has been labeled wrongly mm-hmm. as too weak or too right. whatever and that collectively the power of doing it together when that man sobbed mm-hmm. i would ask you that probably a very powerful moment would be the response that he got from the other men very much so. because if they would have been just dismissive and so uncomfortable that they had to leave. They would be sending him a message. But being accepting, what they're saying is, you giving me permission to find my own truth as well. And it's fine. And as men, we affirm you in this vulnerability and in this beautiful moment of discovery. It's wonderful stuff. Let's move on to what you think. I mean, the title of your book, The Power and Beauty of Authentic Fatherhood, it's called Dad, The Power and Beauty of Authentic Fatherhood. Let's talk a little bit about the criteria you've alluded Mm. to it but the how part if you had to give some guidance Mm. and some lessons to fathers who are there or at least who see their kids very often what would be some of the things that you would want to highlight to them as being important Uh, let me give you a few i mean and and i'd love to just tell a quick story if you don't mind to highlight the first when uh, my daughter was seven years old we moved from Joburg to neisner and um my family moved two weeks ahead of me, and so one because I had some business to finish up in Joburg. And one week into this two-week period, I was on the phone to Blythe, and I said to her, she was seven years old. I said, Blythe, isn't it beautiful living by the coast, by the sea? Mm. And her, her answer was so shocking and surprising. She said to me, "If this was my life, I would scream." She said, and I said, "Why, my precious? Why?" And yeah. these words, she said, "Because you're not here, Daddy." Yeah. Because you're not here, Daddy. And I just, it was another tear-jerking moment. And I realized that the two most important words in a dad's lexicon are, are be there. Mm. Be there. So, I mean, my first thing to dads is be there, man. Be there. And don't just be there physically. Be there emotionally. Be there spiritually. Be there. Be engaged. You know, we, we're very disconnected in they today's world. They don't know how. Well, they don't, but you see, yeah, you have, yeah, yeah. They d- often don't know how. They don't know how. But pr- so, so that's the one thing. Be there. The second thing is that being a father is a parallel journey. It's no good learning good fathering techniques. And if you yourself as a man are a bit of a disaster in the sense that you're not able to engage and you're not able to give. So it's, it's looking in the mirror and it's being and becoming the man that they need you to be. So it's refathering your own boy inside. You know, we, we be grow the up, change you wish to see in the world. Exactly, yeah. Oh. Cha- be, go on a conscious journey of personal development as a man. Try and become the man that one you, the kind of man you'd like your daughter to marry one day. Try and become the kind of man you want your son to be. And go on this conscious journey. And it's a journey of humility, but it's a, it's a powerful journey. So parallel journey, number one. Number two, be there. Number three, I talk about the four great gifts that every father needs to give their children. And the first gift is to see them. Is to is to I say call them out. So everyone is every, everyone has a great desire to be seen, don't we? I mean, we often fall in love with the first person who gets us, don't we? You know, you might be dating someone who's got a, a Harley and he smokes dope or whatever the case may be. You know, and he's a complete he's the he's the bad guy, but you know he gets me. You know, you know what I mean? He gets me. You might be bad, so we want to be got. And fathers need to be the first man who gets his kid. You know, I often say to men, we don't write the script on their hearts of their lives, but what we do is we help them read the script. So we need to to 
so engage with them that we we begin to see them and identify them and understand who they are. You know, as a father, if you're a uh, a rugby kind of guy and you've got a son who wants to do ballet, you, you've got to see the ballet. You know, you can't impose the rugby on him. So that reading, seeing, engaging, understanding, knowing, you've got to know as a father what your daughter's favorite color is. Mm. You've got to know what makes her heart come alive. What is she scared of? What is she passionate about? You don't know your child's heart. So that, that's it the first one. It requires time. It requires time. Yeah. It, it requires engaging mm. in time. You can't just, uh, you know. You can't say I'm having three quality weeks no. with my kid at the no, end no, no, of the no. year. No. It's like a river that flows all the time. You miss that moment. There are other moments, but You're you miss that moment. Right. 100% yeah. right. I mean, I, I'll never forget one day with Blythe. I don't know. She was about three years old and uh, there was a heater and she was reaching out. She might have been younger. And I said, Blythe, you don't touch that. It's hot. And she kept her finger there. She looked at me and she said, I like hot. <laughs> you know, then I realize, okay, I've got a feisty, I've got a feisty young, you know, but those moments are so beautiful because <laughs> as you so rightly say, you, quality time happens when you're busy having quantity time. Yeah. You, you can't, yeah. you know, you can't sort of pencil in a little, I'm going to do quality time. You've got to hang out. Mm. And when you're hanging out, these moments happen. And that's mm. when you get to really know and understand. Mm. So that's the first gift is to, is to call them out, see them, identify them. The second gift is to, is to validate them. You know, once you've seen who they are, the message is, you know what, my, my beautiful daughter or my beautiful son, I see you and who you are is good. It's good. I approve. I see the ballerina in you, my son. You know, if it wants to be, I see the fighter pilot in you, my daughter. I'm just using, you know, and it's, and it's good and it's beautiful. Can I say something about that? Because I think just to make it that it doesn't sound like we're giving recipes where people don't exactly know how to do it. Yes. That's why I'm loving these examples that you're talking yeah. about. So when you say that, a validation, we often want to tie it up with what we've actually seen that is good and that right. we appreciate. So you look for those teachable moments, yeah. don't yeah, you? you do. So you would say something if you want to. I saw how you shared with your sister. Yeah. That was really kind. And validate that. Or thank you so much for offering to, to help. Or you were really good at whatever. Yeah. So they feel that it's real. Yes. The love part, I mean, especially... If people are just blessed enough to have a yeah. dad like you, mm. they become in, they they begin to know it through all of the interactions. The yeah. validation part can be really, I think, highlighted when you attach it to something in particular yeah. when you see it. Oh, like right. that help people reach their full potential, it's catch them it's do real. Yeah. real validation. Yeah. There's another yeah. element to this which is quite intriguing, is that there are two types of affirmation. One is a, a doing affirmation. And the being. And the being. Mm -hmm. And the doing is easy. You know, you score a goal, well done, Johnny. You get good reports, well done, you know, voicey or whatever. But the, the being is a different one. Mm -hmm. That's harder. Mm -hmm. You know, affirm so you, you put your kid on your lap and say, you know, look, you're just an amazing kid. And he goes, why, Dad? Mm -hmm. you, you just are. Who you are is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So it's not related to anything you did. It's mm -hmm. just who you are. And I think that only and comes then from… Then you can still say why. Yeah. I notice even the being part, you know, is to do with… Um, a big heart because, or availability, yeah, yeah. or kindness. This is who you are. Or generosity. Yeah. I also want to ask you about the discipline and boundary yeah. side no, about being a dad. Well, that's, okay, that's, yeah. so the, 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 the. So let's talk about a few more tips. Okay, so the, the third, the, the second gift is to validate. The third gift is to create a sanctuary in which they can thrive. So if you, th if you think of a child as a seed, and, and the potential of that seed is to be a massive oak tree, but the extent to which they become that depends on the soil that they're in, the water, you know. So you've got to provide, you know, someone said that every father is the architect of his own home. You've got to be the architect of that home with your co-pilot, your wife, their mom, 
to create an environment in which they can flourish and thrive. So they've got to feel safe. They've got to be nurtured. They've got to be provided for. The fourth gift is, and that's where we get to this, uh, the thing of discipline, is to equip them for life. And equipping them for life means teaching them and disciplining them and modeling life for them. So we, we outsource the education of our kids to institutions, don't we, to schools or whatever, and that's fine. But you can never outsource teaching them life, action and consequence, uh, manners, how to treat a woman, how to, as a, as a young girl, what, to, what not to accept from a man. You know, these are the, these are, you know, discipline. You know, someone wisely said that you, you, you're going to suffer two forms of pain, either discipline now or regret later. <laughs> and, hmm. and so we teach them discipline now. Hmm. So discipline is absolutely crucial. I mean, it's the other side of the love coin. If you have love without discipline, you're going to create a very deluded, mollycoddled kid who's going to struggle in life. If you have discipline without love, you're going to, you're going to break their spirit. But kids thrive on boundaries. They need to know that these are the rail tracks that I'm setting for you, and you operate within those. So I say to parents, don't, we don't ever put boundaries on our kids' identity. We don't, but we do put boundaries on their behavior. behavior. We have mm. to, and, and, and that's a crucial part. You know, we're not here to be popular, are we, as parents? We had to be dads and moms. Unfortunately, I mean, I think that obviously that's essential and absolutely true. The problem is a lot of parents didn't get the memo. They didn't get so, the memo. You know, We're trying you, to be the cool dad or the cool yeah. mom. And that's so destructive. When you spoil kids, you spoil them. You know, spoiled food is rotten food. It smells, it's off. off. It's poison. Mm-hmm. You know, you spoil your kids, they're going to be rotten adults. They're not going to be pleasant people to be around. So we have to teach them the tough things to, you know, boys and girls so that they can do well. And I'll never forget my son said to me, you know, because I used to teach him manners, how to sit down and how to hold the fork and a spoon. And, a, you know, we used to, instead of watching TV while you eat, you eat at a table and, and stand up when a lady enters the room, you know, a bit old-fashioned stuff. And he used to get so cross at me. And then he actually came to me one day and he said, Dad, you know what? I want to thank you for teaching me those manners because I've just seen how the world mm. responds to me. You know, people... People are amazed that that I do this because mm. and they uh, warm to you. They warm to you, yeah, yeah. Because, but someone has to teach them that, and you know that's mm. a dad's role. Hmm. Uh, you get so many dads who would say, uh, "Actually, that's the mom's role. I make the money. Uh, it's, it's up it's to such her an to abdication. teach that. It's such an abdication. Mm. You know, with discipline, there's another, you know, and this is where the, the co-parenting becomes so crucial. That mom and dad need to be on the same page. You know, you you, you can't have one set of rules from the mom and one from the dad. It's just. And, and kids play you off against each other, don't you? You need to have those discussions. And, and so we, we stand as one on this issue. Mm. And rather have your disagreements in the, you know, outside of the earshot of the kids and come as a united front. Mm. Well, Craig, I was going to say, you know, you should give lessons, but you do. That is what you do. <laughs> you spend a lot of time on this stuff. I and I mean, you're clearly passionate about it because you see the fundamental consequences. Yeah. Of doing this. And yeah. I mean, if one doesn't, it reflects everywhere. It, it reflects honor abuse. 100%. It reflects your adult society. Government, businesses, government. churches, absolutely. mosques, e- everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely everywhere. Yeah. So it starts, actually, it start, I was going to say it starts from the time the children are born, but it actually yeah. doesn't really, if we're honest. I mean, it should start. In the you, womb. You bring, well, <laughs> no, I'm even thinking of before that. It, discuss, it starts with a kind of questioning about how you were father. Absolutely, and what you really learned, and the messages that you're bringing into this. Yeah, am I a whole man, and am I a whole woman, and am I? Should we be having a child? Are we capable of raising 
uh, whole healthy child. No, I mean, we need to ask those questions. You know, mm. we, we, sh- <laughs> you know, actually, I know that you wrote a, a book as well about preparing dads yeah. to be per- dads. I mean, when the, when they're pregnant, and I'm saying they yeah. because yeah. the couple, yeah. you know, are. And but I think that if you face your feelings during that time. Very often the answer is going to be no. We ready. are yeah. not prepared. And yeah. I think that that goes to the territory. There is nervousness and sure. responsibility Which is healthy. and all of it's that. Healthy. Yeah, that's healthy. It's a healthy fear. Yeah. But it, it, I think it, that, you know, even things that you're saying like, you know, what if I had to think of what I learned from my dad that I definitely want to yeah. teach to my son yeah. or what were some of the experiences that would so hurtful and yeah. what I missed yeah. and what was wrong and what did I see and what was devastating Very much. because awareness is the first step to it change. Is. Looking in the no, mirror. So well I've in got mirror. in this book and, and we've released the online course of this. It's, it's, an, it's a series of online videos but in this is exactly what you said. It's, it's exercises to do that. How do I become the man? Tell us a bit about how people can log on to that. So it's uh, Coach. .co.za, just the dad coach.co and there's a they, you, you can purchase the course online and it's a series of videos and workbooks and then downloadable editable uh, reading and, yeah. and, and, and work with, you know exercises yeah so it's quite it's quite an amazing resource really fantastic yeah. Craig thanks we have to applaud you and the people that you mm. work with and all of the dads yeah. who are saying you know I don't get it right 100% of the time but that's what I strive to be Fant- we never and get I'm it right 100% the of the time being there being conscious as you said yeah and making the effort that that's what counts yeah yeah. Well, thank you very, very much. Lots yeah. of valuable lessons. Thank you. Great pleasure. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.